I've been teaching for those that are maybe new among us. Uh, I've been a teaching series, and um, I actually changed the title because it's just the Spirit of Truth. Everybody say the Spirit of Truth. Aren't you glad you got somebody inside of you that tells the truth all the time? So uh, this series is not going the way I had planned that it go, but it's going God's way. So uh, uh, anyway, just to let you know just kind of some of the things we've shared prior. You know, the whole goal of this is to get us ready uh, for the days that we're living in, for the challenges that are coming. And, uh, you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Is that true? And so God's not left us alone. He's le- he has somebody that actually is a tremendous helper that we'll be talking about today. The first, uh, the first time, and this is lesson number four, the first, uh, the first week I talked about this, I talked about what Jesus said would be the sign, uh, one of the signs of his uh, imminent return, which would be tremendous deception. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 mentions the word delusion. Delusion is when somebody hears something over and over again that is not true and they actually begin to believe it. How many know that's happening today? And so you have the, the great truth teller living on the inside. First lesson, we talked about that. Uh, second week, you know, uh, pressure uh, brings pain, personal, emotional struggle and pain. And, and pain looks for pleasure. It's where our culture is. right. It's where the world is right now. They're looking for a way to absolve the, the internal challenge that we all feel with the tremendous changes that are happening worldwide. So God wants us to take our pain to his pleasure because in the presence of God is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So when you're feeling tough, you know, don't look for a way to anesthetize the pain with worldly things. Look for a way to do it by the Holy Spirit, by getting into the presence of God, worshiping, singing, praising, getting in his word. And you know what? You'll find, you'll find that it leaves. So we had a, a week about that. Then last week, uh, I talked about uh, a door that you can walk through that really changes everything about your life. And it's the door of repentance. And again, repentance is a subject. If you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life, how many know you have to live a lifestyle of repentance? If you weren't here last week, we talked about that in detail. All of it is on our website. In fact, my notes are available. I normally don't read, uh, share everything in my notes as I minister, but they're online for your help. And uh, hey, go preach them somewhere. If I'm with me, share it with your friends. Share it in a small group. But anyway, all of the all, all that's in our notes. Uh, VictoryChurchRaleigh.com. Uh, and you can go to it there, the directions for that. But repentance is an open door into a new way of living. You know, if you haven't repented, I can't say that you can't receive the new life Jesus offers unless there's repentance. Yes or no? So it's not like we talked about this, and I don't want to get in the weeds today. I don't have time, but go back and listen to it. When repentance happens, change happens. Repentance is an about face. It's a 180 degree turn. It's a, it's a turn in, in heart values. It's a, it's a turn in how you think about life. And it translates when you make Jesus Lord into a changed life. So if you say, I love Jesus, but you haven't changed, you may not have repented yet. That's the open door. So we talked about that in detail last week. This week, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit being a coach and a partner. You ready for this? So we, we, we're living in a great age of change challenge, dangers, known and unknown, and um, but we have a, a coach. So what's ahead? Uh, I did this yesterday, and I just jotted some words down. Matthew 24 uh, is a classic scripture where Jesus took his disciples. They asked him what it would be like before he came back, just before his, he, he came again. He told him he was leaving, but he's coming back. And he said, they, they said, well, what's the world going to look like? They asked him uh, when you come back. And he mentioned several things. Here's a summary of Matthew 24, 3 through 12. The summary is, number one, as I mentioned, deception. The second thing Jesus said would be happening is false messiahs. Or, uh, or things to give personal peace. Now, I have a, a Bible commentator I, I read after who said false messiahs are actually pseudo ways of getting your personal needs met without Jesus being Lord. Did you hear that? So how many of there's a lot of self-help stuff, stuff today? You better be careful. I mean, I mean, some of it's okay, but some of it's just full of, of uh, stuff that'll lead you away from God. How many hear me? So he said false messiahs are things that give personal peace, war, national, international conflict, famines. Famines really mean weather disruptions. So when we see weather disruptions, understand that brings famine. How many hear me? 
Lack of rain. Why? Well, there, with the climate changes that are happening. Uh, lots of earthquakes. Now, this is a weird one here, and I'm not going to go too far with this except to say um, I keep a journal. I mention that all the time. But uh, last, I think, March, I wrote in my journal after a time of prayer one morning, and the Lord spoke to me, and, and I never, I thought this must be crazy. This is crazy. I thought this is crazy. Ever, God ever spoke to you and thought this is crazy? Well, here's what he said. He said to me, uh, the next thing, the next thing after COVID is earthquakes. I wrote it down. I thought, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. You know, just my mind thinking, you know. But then uh, a couple of days ago, I was listening to a guy, and you know what he said the Lord spoke to him? The next thing coming after COVID, earthquakes. So, so look for uh, tumultuous seismic activity to increase. Earthquakes also mean volcanoes and uh, ground movement. So it's coming. Get ready. You don't have to be worried about it. Just ready. I, d- I will tell you, I got earthquake insurance on my house. <laughs> you can say what you want. Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, right? So if he said they're coming, why not get ready? Get ready, brother. I'm joking. <laughs> That's my insurance agent sitting over there. Uh, lawlessness. Now, what does lawlessness mean? That means laws are on the books, but they're not, they're not enforced. I heard a politician years ago, you know what he said out of his mouth to everybody? He said, well, those laws are on the books, but we're choosing not to enforce them. When that person said that, I said, Antichrist. That's the spirit of the age. Lovelessness. You know what creates lovelessness, if there is a word, a such a word? It's when the same thing happens so often and it causes you to be calloused. And you say, what of it? I give up. No, Jesus said, beware that you don't lose your love during this time. Persecution. We're, we're, not, we're, we're not accustomed to persecution in America, but it's rising. And we need to be prepared for disagreements about what we believe. And they're varying degrees of persecution. And for some worldwide martyrdom. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 3 through 12. So, you know, here's the good thing is uh, God hasn't left us alone to deal with these things. He showed us how we can deal with them. And he's given us a person that can guide us through these challenging times. He's called the Holy Spirit. The best thing that you and I will ever do is yield to him, learn his voice, learn his ways, and stop doing the things that grieve him. Because if you don't grieve him, he'll manifest himself. How many hear me? Now, while I'm teaching today, I just have a, seems like I have an internal knowing that some people are going to be healed while I'm speaking today because the presence of God is going to rise. Some of you have phobias and fears and various panic attacks. They're going to leave you. That thing will leave you while I'm talking today. You hear me? That's good. Uh, John 14, 15 through 18, English Standard Version uh, this is familiar to, you, to us, but let's go through it. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commandments. Now, let me stop right there. A lot of people say, well, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I've had so many people. I've been in ministry since 1981. Oh, I love the Lord, Pastor Mitz. Then go off and do some crazy things. Now, notice what so, so loving the Lord doesn't mean just feeling good about him, nodding to him every now and then. Loving the Lord doesn't mean come to church just once a week, say, well, God, aren't you proud of him? I, I, I got there today. I got, I got there on time. No. No, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obey, that means obey my word. So I have to ask myself, do I really love the Lord? If I love the Lord, I obey his word. If I'm not obeying his word, there is no evidence that I love him. Yes or no? And I will ask the Father, Jesus said to his disciples, he was preparing them for his departure to heaven the first time, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Everybody say helper. King James Version says comforter to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. How many know prior to the cross, nobody had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Jesus had the fullness of the Spirit. He had the Spirit without measure, John three thirty four says. But the disciples, as they ministered in his name, you know, Jesus uh, picked out 70 people, sent them out in, in, uh, in uh, uh, groups of two to go minister in his name and in the power of his Spirit. 
And did you know they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them the way you do? And, and you wonder why the disciples would act and say certain things. Why the sons of thunder, James and John, wanted to call fire down on people who disagreed with him. You wonder how Peter could lie and say, I don't know him. Three times uh, in, in Jesus, uh, when Jesus was crucified, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them the way you do. The law of God was not yet written on their hearts. They were obeying the Ten, obeying the Ten Commandments. And so he said to them, you know him, he dwells with you. And they could feel the power of God come on them as they ministered to people, but they didn't have it rise up in them like you do. Is that good? That's real good. And then he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, Passion translation, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. You say, well, I'm having a hard time obeying the word. Well, just love Jesus. Say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Read his word. Say, Lord, help me to obey your word. Loving me helps you, empowers you to obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. Now, he uses the term Savior instead of comforter or helper for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of truth whom... uh, uh, who will be to you a friend just like me. I'll come back to that in a minute. And he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see or know him, but you know him intimately because he will make his home in you and live inside of you. I will promise I'll never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. I got, I got two things to mention. Number one, the Holy Spirit in you is a guarantee that Jesus is coming back. In fact, Ephesians 1, 12, 13, it, it, he made a promise. In fact, you know, you put a down payment on a house, you put a down payment on some property you're about to purchase. What's that down payment say? I'm coming back and I'm buying the whole thing. You know, when Jesus put the Holy Spirit in you when you're born again, that's his down payment on you saying, I'm coming back to grab you. You better get ready. You're mine. You don't belong to anybody but me. And I'm coming back for what I bought. Is that good? The other thing we need to realize about the Holy Spirit living in us, don't get on people so hard. Judging them. See, there's one thing to judge a person, another thing just to share kindly that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and and that we're all sinners in need of a savior. But when you look down your nose at people that don't act like you and aren't like you, understand a sinner's gonna sin. Huh? And they're going to do things that the culture says is okay, but the Bible says is sin. And as believers, what is our stance? We, we, are, we don't partake of that sin. But what do we do? Love the people in sin. Je- Jesus, went to, Je- Jesus went to dinner with sinners. Is that good? He talked to them. He gave them some water. Hey, let's eat together. Let's go, let's go take a walk. He talked to them. They laughed, and jo- they laughed at his jokes. You think he could have told jokes? Huh? You think they laughed? He, he, he loved them. I just had the Holy Spirit prompt me to say, love people that aren't like you. Do you do that? There might be somebody you're living with called your spouse, and they're not like you. <laughs> Can you love them where they are? Can you love them in their wrong responses? Can you love your children that may not be walking with God instead of pounding them and hammering them on what they ought to do? How about just love them where they're at? Because you used to be the same way. I know I did. Is that true? There but by the grace of God go I. Is that true? Anyway, that's just a, a side thought. The Amplified New Testament of this word helper, comforter, or tra- passion translation termed it savior, which is interesting. The uh, Amplified New Testament has uh, several words for that. Counselor, helper, intercessor. Advocate, strengthener, standby. I, I like the one standby. What does it mean to stand by? That means, you know, you're hoofing along doing your best and, and something's a little bit bigger than you, uh, something you don't know about. It's beyond your knowledge. It's beyond your experience. All you got to do is say, okay, kick it in. Let's go. I need some help. And he's standing by waiting on you to ask. Is that good? Um, Strong's Dictionary of of New Testament words, Greek language. Let me just read. I just want to read this. Can I do that? Here's the the, um, the definition for this this Greek word for comforter, which is parakletos 
or paraclete. And here's what it means, summoned, called to one side, called to one's aid, one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, an advocate, one who pleads another's cause with one, an intercessor of Christ in his exaltation at God's right hand, pleading with God the Father for the pardon of our sins in the widest sense, a helper, a succorer, an aider, an assistant, and again, used of the Holy Spirit, destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father, to lead them, watch this, to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth, the word, and give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. You know what that means? There is nothing in your future that you can't handle with the Holy Spirit helping you. Yes or no? So God never planned that we navigate along. In fact, the Latin word for helper, it literally means one who comes with strength. Isn't it great to know when you get tired when you feel weak, when you feel un- unable, there's somebody that comes with strength that's right there to help you. I don't, my dad was a big man. My dad boxed when he was young, and he plowed a mule all day long. And so by the time I came along, he was a pretty good-sized chunk of guy, you know. And as a kid, you know, I can't tell you how many times I could feel his big burly hand lifting me up, helping me. And see, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. He's one who comes with strength. Uh, he's a coach. Everybody say coach. Now, I've mentioned this, but let me go into a little more detail, get into the weeds a little bit. 2016, I hired a, a John Maxwell coach to help me. I had been here since um, 1994. Our church had grown significantly, just 49 people when I came. I'm going to know you better do things differently when you got more people than 49. And we got a couple more than 49 now. And uh, so uh, I thought, you know, I better get some help because the Lord spoke to me to make some personal changes. And really, I, I needed somebody to show me the ropes and show me how to do it. And more than that, to hold my feet to the fire so that I would change as a pastor and then as a leader of a staff team at the time. I don't know, we had 12, 15 people on staff, some part-time, some full-time. And uh, I just needed to make some changes as senior pastor on how I dealt with uh, just, the, just the business aspects of our church. And so, so this person um, gave me counsel as to what I needed to do differently and uh, the changes I need to make. And then he stuck with me and he, melt, he, he helped me once I saw that I needed to make changes. He held my feet to the fire. He gave me his phone number so I could text message him. I could call him at any time. He came to begin with a couple of times a month and once a month. And then, but, I, but all through, in between times, he would say, how you doing? What's going on? How you doing this? What's going on with that? And then he would expect me to respond. Now, what was he? He was a coach. And, you know, if you're going to make changes, somebody, uh, you know, psychologists say 21 to 28 days begins. It doesn't finish, the, only begins the process of change in your life. You want to change something, if you can stick with it from 21 to 28 days, three to four weeks, you begin to change it. That doesn't mean it's in, it's in concrete. That means you just start. And then you've got to follow through for a long period of time. And finally, how many know you can change mental habits? You can change emotional habits? You can change relational habits. You can change response habits. You can change physical habits. Is that good news? Now, for me to change these mental habits, these uh, relational habits, and the way I led as a leader, my team, I had to have somebody kind of, so to speak, like I said, hold my feet to the fire, hold me accountable. So, I, I mean, you just wouldn't believe how many times I said, okay, how you, he would say, how are you doing? i say, I'm doing this. He said, well, are you sure? See, he held, my, he held me to it, and, and, and he was a coach. It was great, and um, he talked to me about what I needed to do differently. He challenged how I think about my position as pastor as far as the aspects of leading, leading this side, the business side of the ministry and, and, and uh, working with a team of people, and, uh, and he told me what I needed to do to empower others to take responsibility that until then I reserved only for myself. So, so if, you, if you got that kind of stuff going on, you've not got to have some help. If you think you can do all this kind of stuff by yourself, how many know that's how we get into trouble? Do you know people get into trouble when they try to do life alone? So you're trying to navigate some, some big change in your life? 
find a really good trusted friend. I've got a few people around me that make me really mad. Because they don't tell me what I want to hear. They tell me what I need to hear. And I buck and haul. I mean, I buck sometimes. They're like, wait a minute. I mean, I'll get right back in your face because that's my flesh, right? And how many know the Holy Spirit can be that way too? You need to make a change. I don't want to where you need to make a change. But I like it this way. It doesn't matter. You need to make a change. How many know he's a, re- he's a better coach than I've ever met? Have you ever had a person like this? If you don't have people in your life that can stick their loving bony finger in your face and tell you what you need to hear, then you really don't have a good friend. Good friends are real. How many hear me? I mean, ask yourself. Can I slow down a little bit? Ask yourself, do I have a close friend? Do you have somebody in your life? They say, dude, I'm concerned about you. You're not getting sleep. You're working too much. You're taking your day off. You're doing this. You're doing that, you know? Do you have somebody that asks you those questions? Are you loving your spouse? You're taking time with your children. What are you doing? Are you eating too much? Are you doing any exercise at all besides the finger on the remote control? I mean, what are you doing, right? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, he's the best. He's the best person I've ever met in my life because he'll do that kind of stuff to you. So let me say this about, because Jesus said this, I will send you another. Everybody say another. If you love me, keep my word. I'll send you another helper. Now, that word another is really interesting. The Greek language, here's how it actually reads. Not another of a different kind, but another helper of the same kind. And when he said it to the disciples, you know what they heard? You don't hear that when you read it. But what they heard was, hey, I'm leaving you. But you know what? Somebody just like me who is going to do everything I did in your presence for three and a half years, he's going to take my place and he's going to be to you everything I've been in the dependence that you've had on me for these past three and a half years, disciples. He's going to be that kind of person to you. In fact, he's not just going to be one place at one time. You had to find me when you had needed an answer to a question. You needed to find me when you were reading the scriptures and said, could you expound that? I might have been over ministering to somebody way over here in another in another section of the city, but you had to go find me. When you needed somebody to, uh, when you couldn't get somebody healed and you needed somebody to minister, you had to come and get me and say, Jesus, we, we don't know what to do. And I had to, you had to find me, take the time to find me. And then I, and then I go there. How many hear what I'm saying? Huh? When, when you needed, you know, when, uh, when, when, they, when they needed food for a large crowd, Jesus was right there. Yes or no? See, the big difference was, Jesus said, I just, he, he just won't be with you like I am, but he's going to do everything for you that I've done. But the cool thing is, you'll carry him everywhere you go. Woo-hoo, is that good? You don't have to go find him. If you're having a hard evening and you feel like you're all alone, he will be my presence. When, when you've got a challenge, you've got a problem, and you don't know what to do, you don't have to go look for him. He's right there. And he expounded a little further uh, through the writer of the book of Hebrews. I personally think it was Apostle Paul. Others think differently. Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that you may boldly say the Lord is my helper. Is that good? I won't fear what man will do unto me. You know, I've traveled a good bit, missions, short midterm missions trips in, in uh, yesteryear. And, uh, you know, it was alone, alone a lot in a hotel room by myself. And uh, I just can't tell you how it feels to be away from everybody. You've been there, a lot of you in service, or maybe you travel for your job. You know, when you're by yourself, it's just different, is it? Isn't it? I've been to places that the first, first missions trip I went on, nobody spoke my language. I was in Latvia. And, and they, they dropped me off at a hotel. Nobody spoke English. Nobody. Nothing. I mean, I had to, uh, they, they had to tell them I had reservations. And, and they had to take the money and pay. And then I went up to my room. And, and, but nobody knew. Nobody. I, I thought, I never felt so alone in my life. I turned, there's TV on in the room. I turned the TV on and, uh, and they were speaking Russian. And they turned another channel. Let's speak in Latvian. Let's cut the thing off. Well, I'm by myself tonight. What am I going to do? But you know, I really wasn't by myself. The Lord was with me. And I just want you to know I had a hallelujah hoedown. I began to sing and worship. I started singing songs, you know, by myself. And the presence of God hit me. You know what you'll find out? In your lowest moments, he 
is there. How many hear me? So everything that you need for the things we're going through in the future is inside of you. Yes or no? Uh, he has been a helper so many times. I've got a list of things. I don't have time to, to pursue the details of this, but six months after I was saved, see, he guided me. He said, I've called you to full-time ministry, and I could accept or reject. I accepted. Three years after that, about the same time of the year, uh, he, after Susan and I were married, he spoke to me to go to a Bible school in 1,200 miles from my home in Oklahoma. And I said, okay, well, that was a pivotal time in my life. Listen to this. 1983, I was on staff at a church. I was a janitor in a large church in Oklahoma. And the, and the, and, um, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to start physical exercise and do it for the rest of your life. I said, who are you talking to? He said, you. And so I went and got all the shoes and all the stuff, jogging stuff. I jogged for 33 years. And then he spoke to me years later, said, now I want you to start riding a bicycle. I said, you got to be joking. A bicycle? I said, yeah. Then to find out there were trails around here, he wanted me to stay physically active and in shape. He must have known something about me and my metabolism, maybe something about my ancestry and my past. But you know what? He told me to exercise. I've done that all my life because he spoke to me. And, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, I guess I, I'll be 63 Thursday. But I don't feel like 63. Uh, you can say what you want, what I look like. That's up to you. But I just know he spoke to me lifelong. He told me, and, you know, I'm really glad he told me to do that because this helped me in my life. Did you hear me? It's helped clear my mind. It's helped me deal with pressures. Everybody's got to deal with pressure somehow. That's how I deal with pressure. I just go out and exercise. You know, a lot of people say a lot of things about that. 1984, you know, he spoke to me. I was minding my own business. I'm serious, minding my own business. He spoke up to me one day and said, what's first in your life? I mean, I was, I, again, I was a janitor at a large church before I got in a ministry position there, and I was vacuuming the floor, and I kept hearing, what's first in your life? And I just ignored it. And I said, what, what, what? What's first in your life? And I was actually meditating on Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you want, you want the presence of God, put your mind on Scripture. And I learned as a young man, if I want to keep my, my mind out of the weeds, the sinful weeds of life, think on Scripture. So I took one Scripture a day, and that day was Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Well, I'd been thinking about that while I'm vacuuming the floor, picking up trash and stuff, and uh, I was thinking about that over and over. And the way you meditate, you just say it over. So I've been saying it, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times. And finally I heard, what's first in your life? I said, what? I said, what's first in your life? I said, well, uh, well, Lord, you are. See, see, I began to learn the voice of the Lord. Do you know the voice of the Lord will sound a lot like Scripture? And when you first start hearing him, he will bounce off of Scripture to speak to you. That's why if you rarely read your Bible, you're rarely going to hear from God. Did you hear me? I said, well, well, you are, Lord. Then he said this, what's first in your life make first in your day? I said, hmm. I don't believe I want to do that. <laughs> That's what I said. I told Susan when we were first married, uh, Susan, one thing you need to know about me, you know, I, I've not been known to be a man of few words. I like to talk. But in the morning, I just don't talk. I, I just don't talk. I've never talked all my life to about 9 o'clock in the morning. I never talked to my mama. The only thing I said to my mother, she'd make me grits and bacon and eggs and toast and coffee and you know, orange juice. And I'd go get ready and brush my teeth, put my clothes on. Right out the door, I'd open the door. Bye, Mom. That's the first thing I said to Mama. Then I get to the bus stop. I had to rode a bus, walk two-tenths of a mile to a bus stop, and then I had to ride a, a big yellow bus to school. And all these kids, you know how they are, and they're just hollering and fussing. I said, I wish you'd all just shut up because I don't talk. Somebody, look at, somebody talk to me, I just look at them. Homeroom, you know, you get to homeroom, grow up a little bit. You got homework. She's calling roll. First thing I said in the class, Mitch Horton, here. So I said, Susan, I don't talk anymore. So when the Lord said, what's first in your life, make first in your day, I said, Lord, I'm just not a morning person. And I'm not making this up. It took me several weeks to tell him. Because if God says something, you got to obey, right? 
And let me tell you how he is. If God speaks to you, now this is for somebody in the room. If God speaks to you to do something and, and you don't do it, he's not going to say anything else till you do that. You wonder why God's quiet? He's waiting on you to do the last thing he said. So I'm not, it took me several weeks because it was a big lifestyle change for me all my life. Ever since I started school when I was five years old, ever since I was five, I just don't talk in the morning. I just don't. No. And up till then, I got up just in time to throw some food in my belly, some coffee in my mouth, and brush my teeth, put my clothes on, and just get in the driveway to work on time. And God said, make me first in your day. You know what? I got a big stuff, a lot to say about that. It, if I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would be here today. See, see, when God says something to you, he wants to form your life. Now, he might not say to you what he said to me, but there were reasons he said what he said to me. But you know what I found out? Every time God speaks to you, if you listen to it, it'll help you. And he won't speak unless you're in his word. But if you make his word a part of your thinking processes, he'll start talking to you. How many hear me? 1995, every hour on the hour at night, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I woke up and prayed until I went back to sleep and had a wreck at 7 o'clock coming back from a prayer meeting. You know what I know? The Lord helped me pray that out so I didn't die. It could have cost several people their lives, but it ended up costing no one, and I just had to get my vehicle repaired. How many hear me? And then, um, you know, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. Right when this COVID thing started, you know, a uh, year and a half or so ago, a little more than that, um, the Lord spoke to me right when it happened. He gave me the word nefarious. And see, that's helped me. That's let me know there's more there than meets the eye. Did you hear what I'm saying? And this helped me navigate the past months to make the decisions that I need to make to pastor our church and to help people. That just helped me. And then watch this. So, uh, you know, a couple of months after that, you remember the riots that started in some of the major cities, particularly out west, Midwest, remember? Yeah. God gave me a word for that. He gave me the word subversion. Go look it up. I don't have time to even talk about it. But it let me know there's more there than meets the eye. There's somebody trying to change the government of our nation. Did you hear what I just said? And that stuff is still going on. And he further let me know, see, the spirit of Antichrist rising in the earth. I don't have to be afraid of it. See, the Holy Spirit, he started talking to me, get ready and get people ready. That's why I've been talking the way I've been talking for the last year and a half. Do you hear me? And here recently, you know what he's been saying to me? Get ready. Get ready as in get ready for the Holy Spirit to manifest. Get ready as in clean up. Clean up any area of life that's been soiled by the world, by the flesh, by the enemy. Clean up your thought life. Clean up your mental life. Clean up your, clean up your emotions. Clean up your relationships. Clean up your, 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 your physical life. Anything that's out of kilter, get it straight. Now is the time to do it. How many hear me? So, so I, I, I hear it a lot. I keep hearing it. Get ready. And when I hear the word get ready, the underneath the sir. How many know God can say one word and in that word is a thousand words? So when he said get ready, I knew, and I knew when he said it, he was wanting me to tell people to get ready. It's not just me get ready, we get ready. Are you getting ready? If you sloughing off, it's time to straighten up. You know what I mean by that, right? Do y'all say that in, I say that in South Carolina. I don't even think that's a word in the dictionary, is it? But you get the idea, right? Get ready. That's what he says. See, he's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's got a personality. He has thoughts. He has feelings. He has a will. And you know what you can find out? When you go in the wrong direction, it grieves him. When you're with the wrong people, it grieves him. When you're with the right people, he gets really, really happy and excited. When you get in the word, he rises up inside you. He has emotions. When you're with somebody that's going through a tough place, sometimes you'll feel like crying right along with them. Somebody who has an infirmity, a sickness, you'll cry right along with them and believe God with them. You can feel what they feel. Many times I can feel what people feel. And if you'll, if you'll get, see if we get our emotions free and unencumbered from our stuff, from our past, by meditating in the word, renewing our minds, you know what happens? You'll start feeling what he feels towards people. 
You know what you find out about God and this generation? He deeply loves the people that you're around. He loves the obstinate person on the job. He loves the person that's cantankerous in your home. He he loves the people that treat you wrongly and that jar you on the inside. He just loves them. And I can hear him so many times inside of me saying, don't respond the way they're talking to you, just love them. And you know what? If you'll do that, he'll help you. How many hear me? He has a will. I can hear when, when you start going the wrong direction. How many know he can talk to you? So he wants to be a coach. He is our coach. Let me change directions just a little bit. He's a coach and he's also a partner. Everybody say partner. Now you're going to see this real clearly and, and we'll be done. But watch this. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, uh, New King James Version says this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion. Everybody say communion. And the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, Weist translation, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kenneth Weist, uh, Bible scholar. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He translated it partnership. We've got another translation I'm not going to read for sake of time. That word communion or partnership, the Greek word's koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. You'll never think about it again. But here's what it means. Joint participation, belonging in common to a partnership, an association, a sharing. Or here's, here's the gist of it, a relationship between two individuals which involves two things, a common interest. Everybody say common interest. And then the second one is a mutual active, everybody say active, participation in that interest and in each other. Did you get that? Let me break it down. Koinonia communion, partnership involves two things. Number one, it is a partnership. You're both interested in the same thing. How many know if you're going to be a partner with somebody, you need to be going the same direction? You know, you call a husband and wife, they're partners, heirs together of the grace of life. How can two walk together? Amos 3, 3 says, except they be agreed, right? So how can I walk with the Holy Spirit if my lifestyle's not agreeing with him? How can I be a partner if I'm going one way and he's going another way? So partnership means a mutual interest. Everybody say mutual. See, a mutual interest. And then secondly, two people actively working together in that interest. So, you know, we're building a building outside. This is a good illustration. Here's a here's an analogy that fits very, very well. You know, you got a building contractor. How many know he's got a skill? And then you've got a financier who has the capital to buy, uh, to buy materials, to buy lands and stuff. And how many know they need each other? You can have all the skill in the world. If you can't buy the goods, you can't do it. But if you create a partnership, you can go a long way together. Is that true? And so all over our nation, all over the world, you've got people who are partners in the building process. You've got the skilled builder, and then you've got the financier. See, that's a, that's, a good, uh, that's a good way to illustrate a partnership. How many get it? You know, they can, could they succeed alone? Well, you know, the person that builds, he can have a little small business and do this. But if he's got a financier, he can do a whole lot more if he's got the expertise and skill. Is that true? Because he's got the monetary backing. That's how those big skyscrapers get built. These big, huge uh, mammoth projects you see going up all over around Raleigh. How does that happen? Well, there's people in partnership together. How many hear me? Now, you know what? You're the human part. God's the divine part of the partnership. You ever thought about this? He needs your ears. He needs your eyes. He needs your mouth. He needs your hands. He needs your feet. He needs your arm to put around somebody who's having a hard time. He needs, he needs your vocal cords. He needs to speak. He needs, to know, he needs somebody to know he cares. They can't hear him in the spirit realm, but they can hear you. Is that right? So are you availing yourself? Are you being a partner with the Holy Spirit? A partner means you got, you got some, some, some common interests. See, the Holy Spirit, he's got the wisdom, he's got the healing, he's got the knowledge, he's got the insight, he's got the ability to minister life. But see, you're the human partner, and you're the only person that can touch and people can see, that people can see physically. Now, how many know God needs you? So see, the Holy Spirit wants you to be a life partner. 
question. Are you a life partner? So let me ask this question. What's the Holy Spirit interested in? See, if you're going in the same direction and you're going to have a partner, first thing you want to ask yourself is, uh, what are the values of that partner? What's he looking to do? So if the Holy Spirit wants to be a partner, what's he interested in? Two things. Uh, now, that, this, right, this separate, this to show you if you're in league with him or not and, and whether you're opening your life up to be a partner with him. Two things he's interested in in me and you is, number one, he's interested in making Jesus real to you. That means making the word real to you. How many know Jesus is the living word? And he wants you to get in the written word. He's interested in making Jesus real to you and in you. Do you hear me? Secondly, he's interested in empowering us to minister to others. So I have to ask myself that, a question. Am I interested in what he's interested in? If I'm not interested in becoming like Jesus, he'll just leave you alone. Is that right? You thinking about this? If I'm not interested in ministering to others, all I'm thinking about is myself. And I spend a lot of my time pinking the lint out of my belly button. That means only dealing with me and all my problems and I'm crying in my, crying in my drink all the time. Oh, what was me? He, he can't bother you. He, he, he says, well, I just have to leave that person alone because they're self-absorbed. And he's wanting to get us from being self-absorbed uh, to open to minister to, to, to minister to him and then minister to others. You got it? If it's just money, leisure, things, entertainment, flesh things that you're interested in, he can't help. Right? See, if our interest doesn't match his interests, he just has to test and not manifest. And that's why many times he doesn't manifest in a person's life. You say, well, why doesn't the Holy, Holy Spirit ever speak to me? Are you interested in what he's interested in? Now, listen, I want, to, I want to give you some help right now as we close. How to invite the Holy Spirit as your coach. You interested? How can you invite him to be a partner? How can you invite him to be a coach? I learned this, I learned this school of hard knocks just as a kid. I mean, uh, I didn't know. God called me to preach, scared the bejeebies out of me. I didn't even want to stand up in class when we had a, you know, when we had a, when we had a report we had to give in front of the whole class. It scared the man. I'd, I'd throw up. Before class, I was in Bible school, and you know, we got to give a recital of something. Well, I'd throw up the day before. Do you know the first time I preached? Right after I preached, I threw up all the next day. True story. You know why? I'm just not used to being in front of people. I'm an introvert. See, God will change you if you let him. Huh? Now, he might not call you to preach, but how do you invite the Holy Spirit to be your coach, your partner? Number one, give your heart away. That's first. You got to give your heart away. If, all, if you're just concerned about you and having fun and entertaining yourself and, you know, working and working hard and making some money, and that's okay. We all have to do that, but that shouldn't be the goal of life. The goal of life should be to please God in all things and to stand before Jesus one day and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. A lot of people don't like the fact that we're all going to stand before him one day, but we are. So give your heart away, Jeremiah 29, 13. You'll seek me, find me when you search for me with what? You got to sell out. That means you got to be willing to talk to him about everything you are, everything you think, everything that uh, dwells inside of you, all of your motivations, you got to be willing just just to pour them out. Kenneth Hagin back in the 1940s, I listened to a lot of his, at the time in the late 70s, cassette tapes. He was one of my spiritual mentors, and he mentioned that before he got out into the big ministry that he had before he died uh, that expanded the globe, he pastored a church, and he said there was a parsonage or a place where a pastor lives right beside the church. Thank God they don't have parsonages today. <laughs> I'm joking. I live, I live not beside the church. If I did, you'd be at my doorstep every, every moment. But he lived, beside, he lived right beside the church. And he said he'd go into the church, and he said he'd lay his, his Bible on the altar. And, um, and, said he'd just lay, and he, he said he'd start praying. And this really affected me as a kid. He said he, he, he was kneeling down praying. And then he said he, he started looking at all of his motives, why he said that, why he did that. And he said he'd pull them out, and he said this was like an octopus with tentacles. This one issue of life dealt with so many areas of his life. 
And he laid it on the altar and said, Lord, that's a really bad motive. And then he pulled another one out and said, Lord, here's another really bad motive. And he said, God began to deal with him and challenge him. See, he was, what was he doing? Giving his heart away. You need to have times, and I've had times ever since I was, I was 18 years old as a, as, a young, as a young teenager. You get before God. And you just pour your heart out. God, I'm thinking this. This is bothering me. This person said that. That disturbs me. This person did this. This disturbs me. And, and Lord, I commit that to you. This bothers. I don't know how to do that. Lord, this frightens me. This bothers me. I think I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, then Lord, here's some pride. You know what I'm saying? You deal with every single thing. Give him your heart. Number two, get into the word of God. Or really even better, let God's word get into you. So how can I let the Holy Spirit be coaching partner? You've got to give your heart away first. That means you've got to seek until you find. Secondly, get into the word, Colossians 3.16. I mentioned this Wednesday night. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. First part of the let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How do you do that? Take one, I, ch- I dare you to do this. Take one scripture a day. I wrote a book, my first book, uh, Change Your Mind to Change Your Life. The last chapter, chapter five, is just scripture. Take one scripture, if you want to find them, there they are. Take one scripture a day and let it be the scripture that keep, you keep your mind on. I've been doing this for decades. If I'm not using my mind on my job, how many do it, know it doesn't take all of your mind to cut your grass or to clean your house or to clean the bathtub or to drive a car? Now, you got to concentrate on what you're doing and look around and not be bebopping away and forget about the people behind you in front of you if you're driving a car, right? But, you know, you can put your mind on other things. If I have idle mental time, I've been doing this for years, I think about the Word. I've got one scripture that I let float through me. One scripture all day long. Now I've got so many of them because I had so many days of one scripture. Now those one scriptures became a lot of scriptures. And so now sometimes I'll take a whole book of the Bible, scriptures that I've memorized over a period of 45 years. I mean, you're not gonna, you don't even have to be a brain surgeon to do that. You just have to think. And, you know, you don't have to be real smart to memorize. I mean, if you just do one a day, how many know you? After a while, you have a bunch. I mean, after a year, you'll have 365. That's pretty cool. What if you did that? See, that's letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. See, when you let the word revolve over and over in your thinking, it creates wisdom is the ability to do what you're hearing. Wisdom is the ability to put into practice what you know. A lot of people know the word, but they don't have any wisdom because they never meditate. That's meditating in the word. How many hear me? If you meditate in the word, see the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a person. There's a person that's a potential partner of mine. You know, I believe I could actually even be their coach. Would you like for him to say that to you? So number one, give your heart away. Number two, get in the word. I don't mean read your 365 um, day a year Bible and then forget it, meditate. You get it? Thirdly, learn. Everybody say learn. Learn. Say it again. Learn to pray. Can I just say that praying's hard? Because you're talking to a person you can't see, and you know, most of most communication is nonverbal. And then you're communicating with somebody you can't see, you can't hear, you can't see their face, you can't see their form, you can't see if they're towards you, away from you, turn their head from you. I mean, he's invisible. And learning to pray is a challenge. But if you'll learn to pray, the Holy Spirit will say, well, there's a person I can coach. There's a person I can be a partner with. They've got similar interests of mine. Look at that. That person's in the Word. That person's got similar interests to me. Learn to pray. Well, I'll tell you, how how do you learn to pray? Just have some problems, you'll learn to pray. Is that true? Problems make a praying person out of lots of people. I mean, heathen people that say, I don't even believe there is God. Man, they pray when they're having trouble. I mean, how many times has Bo told me it was guys on the battlefield, you got bullets whizzing by your head making certain sounds. Man, that'll make anybody a praying person. Philippians 4, 6, Philip's translation, don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your need and sincere and thankful prayer. I'm gonna tell you problems made a prayer out of me because it's either pray or fail. 
It's either pray or go under. Or it's either pray or go crazy. And you'll learn to pray. How many hear me? So, so you can learn, and I got a whole lot to say. I got a series on prayer I did at the beginning of 2020. I think it was 15 lessons I actually didn't get through. I'll come back to it one day. Maybe put a book, put it into book form. Learn to pray. You may be faulting and stumbling to start with, but if you'll learn to do it, it'll bless your life. How many hear me? I mean, if you got to start with what I did when I was a kid, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or if you got to start praying over your meal, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for it. Start somewhere. The Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, start somewhere and then progress. How many hear me? So if you give your heart away, you'll get in the word, you'll learn to pray. Holy Spirit will say, this person I can be a coach with, a partner with. How many hear me? So here's some questions. Do I live as though a coach is inside of me? And he's ready to help me. Am I interested in what he's interested in, see? Does what I do with my time and my attention show that I'm interested in spiritual things more than natural things? Those are big questions, aren't they? 